And we pray for our hearts because these words today may be difficult for us to take on board. But we pray that whatever happens, we will choose to be faithful to you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now if you open the newspaper, if you watch the news or listen to the radio, you'll know that we live in a place which is in a bit of a mess. And it's not just the world, right? We don't not about the IS or looking at what's happening abroad, just looking locally. Right? We read in the newspaper of teachers who prey on children for sex. We see on people lying and cheating to one another. We see people getting divorced and having family breakdown. We see people, even policemen, uh, stealing or trying to steal from people and killing them. And you look in the sports section, and you don't see any better. You see coaches calling each other vile names and criticizing one another and people cheating. Right? So how do we live in this world? Well, if you remember, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Romans. And uh, as we've been looking at the book of Romans, remember, right? we learned that uh, the whole world is under judgment. Okay, The whole world is under judgment. See, people are rebellious these days, right? Just can't sit still, right? Okay? And uh, everyone is rebellious in a certain way, and God will bring judgment because of their rebellion. But because of God's grace and God's mercy, right? Uh, God brings us forgiveness uh, through the death of His Son, Jesus. And we know that through union in Jesus Christ, we are able to enter into a new kingdom, but this all comes about fundamentally because of the word M-E-R-C-Y, mercy, right? God's mercy. So remember when we read last week, uh, it, um, it was preached to us, right? That uh, because of God's mercy, we need to do various things. Right? So remember last week we read this passage, because of God's mercy, we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I remember a joke that someone once said, you know what's the problem with living sacrifices? The problem with living sacrifices is they're always trying to crawl off the altar table. See, you know, if they're dead, then you can kill them, right? But the living sacrifices are always trying to run away from the sacrificial table. And I think that as Christians, we are a bit like that. So, you know, last week we were told to serve one another, like what Nick was saying. We are told to be devoted to love and goodness to one another. We are not to repay evil for evil, while with good. Well, this week, we need to keep listening to what we need to do as we receive God's mercy. And the first thing is, in chapter 13, it says, Everyone must submit himself or submit themselves to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So that means that every single person here, if you call yourself a Christian who received God's mercy, must submit themselves to the governing authorities. It says there the word submit, right? Okay, submit. Or it says here to be subject. Now let's examine a bit about that idea. We submit to governing authorities not because they are superior to us and we are inferior, not because it is better or worse, not because you agree or disagree, but because God has put them there. So the librarian, the car park attendant, the policeman, you may not always agree with them, 
Right? He said, ah, it's only five minutes late. Why do I get this parking coupon, right? Ah, you know, I, I, I meant to return my library book, but I forgot. But God has established these authorities over us, so therefore we need to obey them. Now, it's very interesting, you know, if you look at this passage here, in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was a young person, was a young boy, remember he went missing from his family? And when his family found him back in the temple, uh, they asked him, you know, what are you doing? You know, you've got to come back with us to Nazareth. So he went down to Nazareth, it says, and he was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor of God and men. Now actually, if you look at this passage, it says here that Jesus was obedient. Jesus submitted himself to the authority of his parents. Now think for a second, Jesus was divine. Jesus was holy God. Jesus probably was worth a gazillion of his parents. But he still chose to submit himself to his parents. It wasn't as if his parents were more important than him, that his parents were smarter than him. But because God had put his parents over him, so when he was a young boy, he he listened to his parents, he was obedient to them, he submitted himself to them. So submission or being subject to the authorities has nothing to do with whether you think it's a good law or not. Right? I remember when I was... um, you know, I think the, 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 the times where we struggle most, anyway, when, when you're a driver, uh, with the law is, is where to park the car, right? You know, like, you know, ah, why don't I just park the car here for a little while? You know, no, there's no one there, what? Ah, it's empty. Look, the car park is empty. Why can't I park my car there, right? But then, you're not supposed to do that because that's the law. And that's the law that God has instituted and therefore you must, you must submit to it. It is part of your living sacrifice. It is part of receiving the mercy of God. But notice what it says there. Consequently, in verse 2, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Now, you notice here that if we see... Oh, sorry, we need to look at verse 4. So, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, you notice here um, that government as it is defined here in Romans chapter 13, is presupposed to be good government. Because it says there, look, in verse 4, for the government or the ruling authorities is God's servant to do you good. Okay, we're not talking about corrupt government. We're not talking about Hitler. We're not talking about Stalin. right? Because you know, people always say, ah, how can I obey Romans 13, right? The, the government. It's not a good government, right? It's oppressing me. We're talking here about generally good government who rule for the good of the nation, the normal operation of government. I'll give you a real-life illustration. I remember when my kids were in school, in, uh, in school, and outside the school, there was a, a pedestrian crossing, a zebra crossing. Right? And you notice at the pedestrian crossing, they always have those zigzag lines. And you're not allowed to park near the pedestrian crossing. Now, obviously, 
there are many, many parents who like to park on the pedestrian crossing because it is very close to school, so it's very easy to pick up their kids. I mean, like, why would I want to park a hundred meters down the road when I can park next to the pedestrian crossing and my, my kids come out of the school, they can come straight to my car? Well, one day, because of all these parents parking there, a boy walked out on the pedestrian crossing and got knocked by a car because he couldn't see the cars coming. So, what it's really saying here is that the, the government put that rule about no cars parking outside in front of the pedestrian crossing for the good of the students. Now, we may think that it's very inconvenient to park the car there, so far away, but it's actually for good. And therefore, God says that He has instituted the governing authorities to rule for the good of people. And if you break the law, you should fear the law because God has given these servants of God the sword, right? Do you see that? The sword. And the sword represents the power of the government to punish you, and rightly so, right? Because they are agents of wrath. It says there in verse 4 they are agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, this is very interesting because remember last week we spent a lot of time with Nick talking about don't repay evil for evil but do good, right? Because God is going to be the agent of wrath. So many people ask, hey, how come in chapter 13 we now talk about ruling authorities? The link between what we read last week and what we read today is that even though God is the agent of wrath, he also appoints government in this world to be his agents of wrath. So if you do bad things, don't, don't think that you know, you're going to get away with it because God is going to bring wrath on you. And just because you escape the long arm of the law, maybe you're some drug criminal or some kingpin and you, you're very corrupt and get away with things, right? Don't think that you escape God's wrath because you may escape the agent of God's wrath here today, which is the authority. But according to last week's passage, you will never escape God. God, the ultimate uh, person who brings judgment, will, will catch you in the end. So I think this is a very important point because for many of us, we don't see government that way that it is the agent of God's wrath. So for many of us, when we do wrong things and we don't get caught, we think, ah, well, that's okay. Right? That's all right. We got away with it. But we remember last week's passage that God is the ultimate agent of wrath, that He will see and He will punish you. So that's why I remember I used to go to uh, uh, this uh, hawker center in, uh, in, in Woodlands when I was living there. right? And then, you know, I'll be very, very obedient. I'll go and park my car in the car park put my parking coupon. And then next to the hawker center, you see all these people in their Lexus, their Mercedes, and their Porsche park illegally alongside the road, right? And then every time the parking attendant comes, they all run out to the cars and they drive off. And then you're like sitting there thinking, every time I eat here, I'm paying 50 cents on the dollar. And here all these rich, rich people, their Lexus and their Porsche, eating here for free. Well, in the end, God will judge them for it, right? They may get away, from the long arm of the law here. But then ultimately what it's actually saying is these governing authorities are representative of God's authority. And they will never get away in the long run if you keep 
sinning against the law, which is instituted by God here, well, He will catch you in the long run. In fact, look at what it says there in verse 5. In fact, it says, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. See, the, 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 the world fears the law. Right? So we keep, the, the world doesn't cheat on its tax, or doesn't, it, doesn't, it tries to keep within the, the speed limit when it sees the speed camera because it fears the demerit points and the, the money. Right? But for us as Christians, we don't just fear getting caught. We, we obey the law because of conscience. We know that we are actually, in the end, breaking the law of God. God has placed His authority over me, and I'm going to break that law, and I'm actually not just breaking that law of the government, but God's, God's appointed servant. Now, this is very, very important, right? Because it means that when I... I remember this uh, very, very interesting story that this woman told me. She, she puts the parking coupon, right? And then she'll put extra time. So I remember uh, someone asking, why do you put this extra time? He said, well, I don't want to lose my salvation for 10 minutes. Right? Which is true, isn't it? If, you, if you're in your conscience, you know that God has said, obey the authorities and you don't want to put your car parking coupon, then what's 50 cents compared to continually going against your conscience against God? It means that when you're driving, right? Uh, when there's no speed camera, you, you keep to the law because you know that that's, that's the safe speed that the government has said that you should travel on on this road. Not, not the speed that you think you should travel on because you know you're such a good driver, but it's the safe speed that the government has determined for this road. If you don't like it, petition the government. It's not for you to break the law. It means that when I'm on the computer and the internet, maybe I, I shouldn't download things for free because yeah, I might never get caught, but I'm still going against the law, right? You know, downloading stuff on the computer that is wrong, right? It's not. I don't know. I see some of you shaking your head. Okay, question answer time. You can ask me later, right? Okay? Okay. But look at what it says further on in verse 6. See, it's not just about giving money. Okay? It says, when you pay taxes, yes, pay taxes to the authorities. But verse 7 goes beyond that, right? Give to everyone what you owe them. Everyone meaning the, the servants of God, right? The, the tax collector, the librarian, whoever, right? If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. See, that means that when we deal with people who are God's servants, we need to give them the respect and honor that are due to them. I remember once I was in the library and... Um, there was a librarian who was telling this man not to uh, do something. I can't remember whether he was sleeping or cutting his nails. I found it really... I've sat next to someone in the library and he was, he was cutting his toenails and letting the toenails fall on the floor. And I was like, what is wrong with this person? Anyway, I can't remember. This librarian was telling this person not to do something. And this person got very angry with the librarian. And I thought, what a what the wrong thing to do? The librarian is only doing their job, telling you to keep quiet or not to treat the library like it's your house, right? It's a library. It's not your living room. But this person didn't respect the librarian. 
And I think that as Christians, we can never act like that. We must give the authorities what is owed to them. Now, I think that there are other passages in the Bible, if you look up here, uh, which actually have examples of where we do not listen to the authorities. So in Acts chapter 5, uh, Peter is brought uh, before the council in Jerusalem and they tell him, you cannot preach, you cannot teach about Jesus. Right? You know, look at what he says. He says, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Right? That's what Peter says. Right? We must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, what that means is that God has instituted the authority over us, so it's because of our loyalty and obedience to God as living sacrifices that we obey the governing authority. But when the governing authority teaches us to do something against God, then obviously we can't do it, isn't it? It's because of God that we obey the governing authority. So the governing authority says, you cannot be a Christian, you cannot share the gospel, you cannot worship God, you cannot pray then obviously we can't, we can't obey that because it is our loyalty to God himself that makes us obey the government authorities. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that in the future, uh, the beast will come, right? And he will come with great power and actually he will rule in, in, with the governing civil authorities to oppress Christians. So this is what it says. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like a bear's, and his mouth was like a, like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave it his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have received a death blow, but its mortal wound had been healed. In amazement, the whole earth followed the beast. Are we up to date Follow the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? The beef was given the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty two months. Okay, so that means it's like civil authority, governing authority. Okay, verse 7. It opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war against on the saints and conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe and people, language and nation, and all the inhabitants of the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slaughtered. So here we see that actually there are times and places where an evil force will actually take control of government and oppress Christians. And at these times, as Christians, we are not duty-bound to then obey the law. I mean, if we are hit, we're living in the time of Hitler, and Hitler says, okay, uh, you're very good at administration. Can you please get this clipboard and count how many Jews we can send to the concentration camp? Then you can't do it as a Christian because your loyalty is to God and this ruling authority is going against God. But what we see in this passage is in the normal running of government, we should be subject to government because of the fear of the sword and of conscience in ourselves to God. But verse 8 goes on to say, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves 
others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, you see, when we pay taxes, we pay it up and our debt is fulfilled. Right? When, when you owe something, you pay and that's it. Except love. You can never pay the debt of love. So I want you to turn to one another now and I want you to say to each other, you owe me love. Okay, you owe me love. We, we, we continue, we, we might, each of us. Okay, 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 that's enough, that's enough. Okay, that's enough. Okay, because we can never ever pay up that debt to one another of love. And love basically sums up the law. See, if I really love my neighbor, how can I murder them? Can you murder someone and say, I love you? And then stab them in the heart or shoot them in the head. Can you say I love you and then steal their their iPhone from them? Can you say I love you and then commit adultery with their husband or wife? You can't, right? And that's why it is the heart of it is the heart of the law to love one another. Because if you really love one another, you will fulfill the intention of the law. Now what we see here is what makes us as Christians very, very different. Because we are called to love other people. The world says every man for himself, right? But the Bible says every man for his neighbor, every person to love the other person. And this is not an option because if we receive God's mercy, then we must love one another. We are it is a debt that we keep paying over and over and over again. It is an unpayable debt and we must keep loving one another. Now, the passage then goes on in conclusion in verse 11, right? It says, and do this. What is the this? Is the this just mean loving? I think that this actually represents everything from chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 13, verse 10. It means, do this. Right? Do not repay evil for evil, love one another, serve one another, right? Continue to obey the authorities. Do this. Why? Understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. See, this is a perfect symmetry. In chapter 12, verse 1, we are called to do things. Why? Because of God's mercy. So because of what God did in the past, you must live like this now. But now, we live in the present because of what's going to happen in the future. Because the time, the hour of our salvation is close by. So you live in love, you live in obedience to authorities. Why? Because of what God did in the past, His mercy. But because of what's going to happen in the future, our salvation. In fact, it says here that we need to wake up, right? So it's a bit like you're a drunk, you know, it's like a drunken stupor, right? You know, maybe you slept very late, you watched the rugby and you're kind of like, ah, oh, fuzzy headed, right? And it's like, you're trying to wake up, trying to wake up because you know why? Because the night is nearly over in verse 12 and the day is almost here. Now, what does that mean? 
that the night is really over and the day is almost here? Do you know the answer? You never pay attention when you're singing. See, I noticed this song we sang right at the beginning, right? Which song was it about day and night? You remember? We belong to the day. Oh. Ah, here it is. We belong to the day. See, the day, right, is the daytime. That is what we live in. We live in the day. We're people of the day. We belong to the day, for the day is to come, and the night falls away, for our Savior will return. Right? We belong to the day, let us journey in the light, put on faith, put on love. You see, this is exactly what this passage is talking about. I actually didn't ask Nick to um, sing the song, but I was singing, I was singing exactly what this passage is about. This passage is about living for the day. Because the day is nearly here and the night is nearly past. The night represents evil, darkness, wickedness. The day represents the time of Jesus coming where there will be love, purity and all these things. So it's not saying, we belong to the day. We don't belong to the night. We, we are people of the day. So don't live as if you are the people of the night. You see, knowing the future is very important, right? We already know the past, God's mercy. Knowing the future is very important. So let's say you live, you're on a boat, the Titanic, okay? And the Titanic struck the iceberg. Now you know the, 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 the ship is going to sink. What do you do? Do you just keep dancing and drinking alcohol and having a party? No, you get in the lifeboat, right? You get your life jacket ready because you know what's going to happen. In the same way, if you know the day is coming and you belong to the day, then why live as if you live at night? And in fact, it says here that we should not live at night. You know why? Because it says that the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Forget about all that dark deeds. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. You see, these three things represent while living, sexuality, and relationship sins. Right? You think about it. Carousing and drunkenness, that's very while living, right? Uh, sexual immorality and debauchery and dissension and jealousy. See, we are not people like that. Instead of being devoted to sex and sexuality, we're devoted to love, to love one another. Instead of destroying one another in relationship with dissension and jealousy, we're told to serve one another. Instead of being, while living, we are to be devoted to goodness. See, I always remember this movie by Tom Cruise. I don't think it's very popular. It's not like Mission Impossible. It's called uh, Collateral. If you ever watch it, it's quite interesting. And he gets in this car. He's a taxi driver, right? Anyway, in his, uh, the flap of his um, taxi, he has a picture of this island that he wants to go to. That's like his dream retirement home, right? Coney Island. No, la, not Coney Island. La. Coney Island is in New York. No, no, his island was a, was a tropical island. Okay, anyway, so wrong island, wrong island, wrong island. But so anyway, he keeps looking at that island all the time. Right? That's where he's going. That's where he's going. That's why he's driving this taxi. And in the same way, we are actually going towards the day. So why do we live in the night? In fact, it says here, right in the last verse, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this is a very, very sophisticated imagery, right? It's a bit like, you know, last time I had chili crab. 
And also chili crab. You know, you wear, uh, they give you this uh, bib, right? So when you eat it, the bib gets really dirty. It's like all the chili stuff gets on it and the egg and everything else and the, you know, the bits of crab. Now imagine somebody next to you and on that table has a perfectly white clothes, you know, and, and exchanges your dirty white bib for, and puts on uh, white clothes on you. This exchanges his white clothes. Now imagine if uh, your cloth represents all the dirt of your sins, right? you know, lust, gossip, anger, hatred and everything. And Jesus actually removes all those sins from you, that, that shirt you're wearing, and replaces it with His shirt, His own righteousness, so that you're pure and white and righteous. Well, that's actually the, the, the image here, isn't it? Clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and live in that righteousness. Since He's already put on His righteous clothes on you, you should live that way. So you have to ask yourself the question, are you living in the day or are you living in the night? Are you a, a night crawler right? or are you living as a daytime person? Because if you know the future, if you receive God's mercy, then we live as people of the day. Now I want to uh, leave you with one last uh, cartoon, right? So, cartoon, cartoon. Oh, hey, wrong way, wrong way, wrong, wrong way, wrong, the other way, the other way. So anyway, so it's very important, right? Yeah, no, the cartoon, yeah, yeah, not yet, not yet. Not yet. That's a punchline. I tell you, cartoon, the punchline is gone. So it's like, you know, it's like when you look at this passage, it's not something in the abstract. It means that we must relate to one another in real love, in real care, in real righteousness. So I always remember this cartoon that I, I, I got from my uh, Charlie Brown cartoon book. It says, you're you a doctor... Ha, that's a big laugh. You could never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why. I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Right? And I think that's the case for us, right? We can, we can come to church and say, yes, yes, we love one another. We love mankind. But, but do we actually love the person next to us? Do we actually serve them? Do we actually treat them in the righteousness that God calls us to? Do we actually uh, uh, relate to them in the way that we should as people who are clothed in Jesus Christ who live in the day? Okay, any questions?